This is Channel 253. In this episode of Crossing Division. We have to like shake ourselves up. You know, I want my daughter, not just my daughter's children. I want my daughter to have a world. My daughter is 25 years old and I'm afraid that she doesn't have a world to live in in a few years. That's livable. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. Hi, this is Evelyn Lopez with another episode of Crossing Division, Tacoma's talk show. Today, we are going to talk a little bit about the Port of Tacoma and the Tacoma Tide Flats and some industry that is on there been on there for a while, but they're just looking to expand and, and what that means for us um, here in our city. So joining me today are Dan um, Villa and Tracy Wigman, who are both volunteers with 350 Tacoma. And if I mispronounced your last names, either of you, please feel free to correct me. Um, so let's start by talking about 350 Tacoma. We started up in um, um, August of 2017. That was our first general meeting. Mm -hmm. And um, we um, are part of the national 350.org. And um, I'm I'm reading from my little screen here and stuff Uh because it's hard to remember all the exact details. But basically, um, uh, 350 fights for just a just and equitable world. By stopping the fossil fuel industry from continuing to destroy our climate. We do this by building a powerful multiracial movement to confront and isolate the fossil fuel industry, opening up the political space for transformative climate action. And um, our strategic objectives are to build a multiracial organization to organize and mobilize a multiracial base. We build and deepen the grassroots climate justice movement build widespread public blame of climate impacts and project impacts on fossil fuel industry. And we build a political opposition to the fossil fuel industry and support for a just transition. And that's basically it in a nutshell. Great. Great. We're about. So Um, uh, how many people are active in the 350 Tacoma? You mentioned it started in August of 2017. So you've got about three years in. Um, how robust is it here locally? So uh, we do have a kind of core group of about a half dozen um, of volunteers uh, who help organize a lot of things. And we're looking to expand that. We're always looking to expand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and over these three years, we've had hundreds of people come out uh, to all sorts of our various demonstrations and actions. Uh, and so yeah, our email list is over 3,000 people. Uh, so we do have quite a bit of reach in this area and yeah, we've had tons of support from the local community to, to carry out these climate justice actions. That's great. So if people want to get involved in this, um, they can, should, sounds like maybe start at your website, which is 350tacoma.org. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. And another great way to get involved if you participate in social media is to find us on Facebook. Uh, which you can find us with 350 Tacoma there as well. Also on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, and for those of you who don't like social media, uh, you can also email us at hello, H-E-L-L-O, at 350tacoma.org. That's great. That's wonderful. So I'll give you um, 
I um, was paying more attention to the um, the port and the Tide Flats land over the start of the project to build the LNG um, facility um, down there. So I haven't followed as closely um, since um, since that started being constructed. But I know that there is a um, sub area plan under development for the Tide Flats area around where Targa is located and some other things. Is is there anything that is sort of, what would you say if, if a citizen of Tacoma was saying, you know, I don't really know what's going on down at the port or the Tide Flats, um, but I would like to know what are the um, three or four things that I should know that are going on right now? That's a great question. And so uh, we found that one of the most challenging things in reaching out and educating you know, our fellow Tacoma residents about what's happening there is just that these topics are quite complex and the names for them are just unwieldy. <laughs> so you know, you start saying, have you heard about the liquefied natural gas project and the right. Tacoma Tide Flats? You know, people's eyes start glazing over because there's just so much jargon and terminology. And I think they designed it that way on purpose too. And, you know, I mean, the Tacoma uh, Tide Flats sub area planning process and the interim regulations. I mean, that's, that's a lot of words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know when I first started uh, looking into these topics, I was lost. I would go to city council meetings and I had no idea what people were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's all uh, a caveat to how I'm going to try and summarize mm-hmm. the situation in the Tide Flats. So basically right now, uh, the city of Tacoma has decided that uh, we need to rezone how we use the port because right now, Anything could be built in the Port of Tacoma, a nuclear reactor, a waste incinerator, more fossil fuel projects. Mm-hmm. And they realize that this is, is not a detention center, I would add. Exactly. <laughs> and there's a detention center. There are people being forced to live in the middle of this industrial wasteland. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the well, city right now Let me interject on that. I mean, one of the things that we, that if you get involved in this, you'll hear from um, like the Chamber of Commerce and the Business Development Group is this. It is like... Look, this is a, this was a super fun site, right? I mean, it's horribly, horribly contaminated. It's never going to be a park. It's never going to be a neighborhood. So we might as well put this other really heavy polluting activity here because we've already they're already brownfields. They're already you know uh, terribly compromised. And you'll actually hear people say like, "This is actually making a really good use." out of a compromised resource to put more, you know, instead of putting your polluting activity in somewhere that's cleaner, put it here in the dirty heart of Tacoma. And that's, you know, the best thing it can be used for. Well, I guess that presupposes that we want to continue having polluting industry. Yes. So that's a huge assumption. And that's one of those things that, you know, oftentimes it's talked about or just gloss over completely. So we don't want to continue having these polluting industries. We cannot continue having these polluting industries. I mean, the Internet Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change scientists made it very clear in their latest report that we have, when they issued about two years ago, they said we have 12 years left to make like radical, sweeping, uh, you know, society-wide changes to avoid the worst uh, parts of the climate catastrophe. And, you know, we're not doing that yet. So... Uh, my question is that, like, should we cons- like continue building dirty fossil polluting industries or polluting industries on this land? Uh, it's like, do we want those at all? 
Mm-hmm. And in fact, the land used to be called, uh, was like a breadbasket for the Tualat tribe. Mm-hmm. And as a side note, in all our work organizing here in Tacoma, we do recognize that we are on the ancestral lands of the Tualat tribe. And we are very proud to support them whenever we can uh, in, in their efforts as well. Um, but yeah, uh, we, we just need to realize that the uh, current way of living that we have now with uh, fossil fuels is just not sustainable. Yeah. And if we want any kind of future for ourselves and our, our descendants, we need to make an abrupt change and a, a swift one. So that's what we work towards is a swift and just transition away from a fossil fuel based economy to a green energy economy. Mm-hmm. Um. So I kind of interrupted you when you were starting to talk about the projects that people should know about. So let's go back to, I think you were starting to talk about the sub area plan and that, you know, the the city of Tacoma has sort of said, you know, we really need to be a little bit more thoughtful. I'll say it this way as thoughtful in how we approach the, the uses that we want to have down at the port and on the tide flats. We can't just have it be anything that anyone ever wants to do um, to this uh, resource. Yeah, that's correct. So they want to rezone this and their process for rezoning the port is called the sub area planning process and a sub area because the port is a sub area of Tacoma. And some, some of your listeners may be familiar that they did a similar process with uh, a region around the mall, I believe. Uh, and so uh, this process is not a fast one. In fact, there are five stakeholders involved. And so even getting to that point of deciding who those stakeholders were and what the agreements were has taken over two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so while this sub-area planning process is being hashed out and debated, um, they put in place what are called interim regulations, interim right. because they are temporary. And these interim regulations brought in great uh, policies, like the fact that new industry cannot establish itself in the Port of Tacoma the new heavy industry, which is what we want. Mm -hmm. Uh, But unfortunately, they left a huge loophole in there, allowing current uh, industry, particularly fossil fuels, to still expand as much as they want. Uh, So our community here in Tacoma has been asking uh, for that loophole to be closed from the very beginning. Uh, And unfortunately, uh, those requests have fallen on deaf ears, despite the fact that hundreds, if not thousands of people have turned out uh, to city council meetings and to the the big hearings they've had on the interim regulations. Uh, And as you may know, the interim regulations, again, they're only temporary and they only last six months. Mm. So every six months, the city has to go through the process of renewing them, taking public comment. uh, And the next time for that is in November. And I know that the city uh, council is getting tired of renewing that. And it sounds like there are maybe some plans afoot to make uh, some of these regulations permanent. And our position is that those regulations, if permanent, uh, need to include the ban on the expansion of current fossil fuel uses. Uh, Because otherwise, we're just playing whack-a-mole, as we see here with um, the two latest requests from the Seaport Sound Terminal for Targa. Right. So... um Tell me about that, about these requests from the Seaport Sound Terminal from Targa. So just in October uh, of this year, uh, Seaport Town Sound Terminal uh, got the green light to go ahead with their rail yard expansion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that will allow them to double the number of train loading stations that they have in their yard. And when they proposed this, the day claimed that it was just for efficiency Right, we're not going to increase our throughput, mm-hmm. uh, but you know that seems <laughs> pretty hard to believe that a company's going to spend so much money just to improve efficiency uh, when they then have so much more capability to move 
uh, fossil fuel products through their terminal. And I think we can see that that uh, was not completely uh, genuine <laughs> when they are now talking about increasing their storage facility capability by 175,000 barrels of oil. And so, yeah, these are the two latest expansions uh, that Seaport Sound Terminal uh, are now working on. Okay. So what if they get the green light, if they get the go-ahead, what will we see change down at the port? Well, uh, it's all about risk for us and for our future and our environment. So they will uh, increase their surge capacity uh, from about 1 million barrels to you know, 1,175,000 barrels. And that means more petrochemical traffic through our neighborhoods, right? We're going to see increased truck tankers going on our roads. We're going to see increased rail yard traffic. And I know that impacts more than just us and the environment. It also impacts uh, other people in the port that rely on trains for like grain transport, for instance, because fossil fuel products always take precedence. And so their schedules are hugely interrupted by all these increased train traffic. Uh, and then we're also going to see more tanker and barge traffic on the sound. And we know already that our salmon and our orca are highly endangered. And we simply can't put these keystone species at any more risk. Mm -hmm. So with the, um, I know that they have a significant amount of crude oil storage. And I think they have some other gasoline and other related uh, petrochemical type products that they store as well. But on the crude oil, I know um, from, I was looking at their website trying to get a better sense of the operations in Tacoma, but there's really not very much information about what they do in Tacoma on their website. But it looked like they are bringing oil um, from various locations, um, including the um, Bakken oil fields. So they're um, highly damaging, polluting process of extracting the oil and then um, shipping it, well, shipping it, I guess, a uh, rail, rail line sending it to Tacoma on trains. And those are those long black oil trains that we see running through our city. But then what happens? And though I know that, so a certain amount of the oil is pumped into those giant tanks that are um, down on the waterway. Um, and then from there, does it go into additional rail cars and go somewhere else? Does it go into trucks or does it go into... Um, ships and get taken to other locations across the water? Great questions. Uh, and a lot of this is unknown, but you know, everything is quite opaque. Like yeah. we can't tell. And I think it's again made that way. Uh, one of the things that the city has promised to do is to study uh, the fossil fuel movements happening in our port so that they actually have an understanding because we've been asking for these interim regulations to be strengthened this whole time. And uh, after about two years of that, the city said, oh, well, we don't even know what fossil fuels are moving in our port. So first, we need to know that before we can start making mm -hmm. any regulations. Mm -hmm. uh, but as far as I understand, you know, it's just a terminal. So they, they take products from one customer or from one source, they store it in there and they sell it to another. And Tracy, uh, you know, you've worked in the port for 33 years. I don't know if you have any more idea of what happens down there. No, I, I don't, except I worked in the middle of all those oil cars going by us all the time. And sometimes I felt like I was in completely surrounded by them. And it's um, a very um, ominous kind of a feeling to be in that. Um, but I don't have any more information on what, where it's going mm -hmm. in detail. Um, I do, I do believe some of it's barged as well. 
um, there's barging that goes on too. Mm-hmm. So it seems for all of that activity, I mean, I've always been concerned about the oil trains, uh, especially after um, there was that large explosion up in um, Canada from oil trains. Um, and they go, you know, since they, they go from the rail line through Tacoma, you know, runs from Stillicum along the waterfront and then curves up at Point Defiance and runs right through really the heart of Tacoma, right along the edge of downtown and then, you know, over the rail lines into the port area. So if something were to happen, we would have an enormous loss of life and enormous damage to our property, enormous damage to our waterfront, um, probably um, a nightmare of um, pollution on a waterway that we've spent generations cleaning up from past environmental disasters. And I just think, you know, what there's so much risk there. Does the city of Tacoma have any kind of, um, you know, is anyone providing us with any extra insurance or protection should something go wrong so that it doesn't absolutely devastate everything? I mean, you know, it's, so, if, if the worst thing, it's like, you know, home insurance, right? I mean, your house is probably not going to burn down, but you have insurance because if it does happen, you need to start from somewhere to start over. And I, you know, does Tacoma have anything like that? So, yeah, this is a huge problem with the fossil fuel industry, right? The public all the time is forced to subsidize them to the tune of billions of dollars a year. And we also socialize the risks of, the, of their ventures. So we're seeing that right now with the hurricane hitting down in the Gulf, right? That huge petrochemical complex is being wrecked by the storm and there's huge leaks. And uh, if they're anything like we are up here, uh, companies have limited liability. Mm -hmm. So I know the clearest example I have of this is for Puget Sound Energy's liquefied natural gas facility. Mm -hmm. And they have an insurance policy uh, and it's capped, and I don't know the exact figure, it's capped somewhere around $15 million of liability. And so if something were to happen there, if there's to be a devastating explosion that could cause probably billions of dollars worth of damage, Puget Sound Energy would only be held liable for the first $50 million. After that, it would be us taxpayers once again footing the bill for their dirty fossil fuel industry. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing with cleaning up the port. You said a lot of these lands in the port are brownfields and are no longer usable. Companies like Occidental Petroleum or Chemical, whatever it was called, horribly polluted the land there and are paying minimal amounts of money to help and try to remediate that land. And, uh, you know, people say that if you try and push for them for any more money, then they just declare bankruptcy and right. it all dries up anyway, right? So once again, the people are left to deal with the bills of this horrible polluting legacy of these companies. Yeah, this has been the and, history of how how industries have operated. You know, the, um, the Sarco aluminum plant down at Point Rustin um, cr- caused, you know, billions of dollars of pollution and realistically you know no company is is ever probably going to be able to pay for their cleanup but and so you know the federal government set up the superfund program charging fees so to build up superfund monies so that they could come in and remediate sites but you know the last four years the department of ecology has really not been or 
Environmental Protection Agency has been um, underfunded and hurt by changes in regulations. So, you know, we can't really make any assumptions about that federal money being there um, to protect us should something go wrong. And an interesting point about that risk and having the funds available, I believe it's Multnomah County in Oregon uh, has put in place the requirement for risk bonds. Mm. So this means that any fossil fuel company or any company wanting to do or undertake risky activities in that county, they need to be able to provide a fund in case there is a disaster. And if that fund needs to be <laughs> proportional to the actual size of the disaster that can ensue. And so what we would really like uh, to bring up here to Pierce County and so everywhere, in fact, is that idea of risk bonds, that mm-hmm. fossil fuel companies need to put the money up front to deal with any disaster that happens with their uh, refineries, with their storage facilities in our communities. Because it's unacceptable that we take the pollution side effects of having them in our communities and we take the financial liability of having them in our communities while these fossil fuel billionaires just walk away with all the money. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's take a short break here. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about, to the extent that we've been able to determine what the process is for Targa's request to add to their capacity, um, you know, what the city council is gonna be weighing in on and how citizens can get involved in that process. Hello, I'm Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, We Art Tacoma. This episode of Channel 253 is sponsored by TAPCO, Pierce County's original credit union. You might already know that credit unions are not-for-profit financial cooperatives with a focus on enriching their members instead of big bank shareholders. TAPCO is committed to serving Tacoma and Pierce County, just like Channel 253. That means when you put your money there, you put it back into our community. Think about it. You go to the night market, you go to the Grand, and you shop at local stores. So why not keep your money local too? TAPCO offers the products and services you need. Home loans, auto loans, checking and savings, online and mobile banking, all with lower fees and better rates than big banks. Plus, TAPCO donates to local causes and supports our community in other ways, so you can feel good about helping your neighbors. To learn more about our local choice for all of your banking needs, visit tapcocu.org. My thanks to TAPCO for their support of this podcast and Channel 253. Okay, well, we're back from our break. Before we start talking a little bit more detailed about, you know, Targa's uh, plan to increase their crude oil storage capacity, what that means for Tacoma, and how we can get involved in this discussion, uh, let me say to you, listeners, If you are not yet a member of Channel 253, we really hope that you will consider joining us. Uh, This is a um, very local effort to provide podcasts and information to people who live in Tacoma and Pierce County, um, especially as our news media has become a little bit, well, a little bit, a lot less available. Um, The cuts at the News Tribune and other changes in our um, media environment mean that local coverage um, and people talking about what's going on in their lives is more important to share than it ever has been. So please consider joining Channel 253. It's $4 a month or $40 a year. Now let's get back to our questions about Targus. So they want to expand their capacity, their their, um, petroleum storage capacity, and they need approvals. It 
is it approval from the city council to do this? My understanding is that it's just approval from the city planning department. Okay, city plan. So how do do you know? And I and I ask it as a question because I know I have always found it very difficult to find out, you know, what's going on and what the process is for these decisions uh, with enough time in advance that I can make a difference. So tell me what you know about what's going on with the decision making. So uh, my understanding is that with the interim regulations, uh, the city is now required to inform people within 2,500 feet of the edge of the port anytime a project is taking place. And for this particular uh, proposal to expand Seaport's storage capacity, uh, they had some uh, mishap with their communication process, mm. and therefore their notice didn't really go out. We only learned about this uh, from Citizens for a Healthy Bay uh, by email. Uh, and luckily, somebody in the community requested that this whole process be delayed or extended, and uh, the city planning department did extend it. So now comments are due by September 20th. Okay. Uh, for this proposal. Uh, but it is very difficult to find out what's going on there. And this is part of the community's request. You know, they know we don't want projects like this happening. And we've, <laughs> we've had people in our group sign up for every email list possible mm -hmm. with the city for all these notifications. And we still don't learn about these projects. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if people want to know more about the project, is there some space on the um, city planning commission website that gives the details of the proposal and the timeframes for uh, comments? So there is a website that the city has. Uh, I could send you the link uh, okay. after the show. That'd be great. Uh, if, you, if, if you send it to me, then I'll include it in the show notes. Yeah. And it has like the, the description of the projects. It has um, the answers that Seaport uh, Sound Terminal has provided for this State Environmental Protection Act review process. And right now, uh, the city planning department uh, has a preliminary decision uh, or finding that this is a non-significant uh, project. And in my mind, how, is, how could this be non-significant? <laughs> Which, you know, classifying it as non-significant means that it doesn't need to undergo further environmental review. Yeah. But in those documents, in those answers, Seaport Sound Terminal acknowledges that they're building this on land that is prone to liquefaction in an earthquake. And so how is that not significant that we're going to add 175,000 barrels of storage that could just leak out into the Puget Sound in the event of an earthquake? And I've been hearing it since high school. So for over 20 years that we're due for a big one here. Mm -hmm. And yet we continue building these, for lack of a word, we're insane projects down in the Tacoma Tide Flats. Mm -hmm. You know, it's an interesting thing. I think that the uh, language that... Um the planning department uses is it is very confusing. So, but I think what they look at is if is this a is this the same type of activity that they've been doing on the site, or is this a different activity entirely? And if it's the same type of activity, even though the volume is going to increase, then they may say, well, it's not a significant change because it's still the same type of activity. So it still has the same risks as, as previous, but it's it's completely legitimate to say, well, hang on a second. When you increase the volume of the material that you're storing, you also increase the risk. And especially as you pointed out with the fact that in an earthquake situation, that whole area that's all made with fill dirt could liquefy and could fracture, and there could be all kinds of environmental impacts from it. I think it's entirely legitimate to say, 
This may be the same type of thing that they're already doing, but anytime you increase the volume of storage and the number of tanks, which is what their proposal is, you increase the risk. And the risk, again, borne 100% by the city, by the people, by the taxpayers, and we should get some protections. I mean, this, my feeling is always this. I'm not going to say, don't do it. I would prefer you not do it. But I'm not going to say, don't do it. What I'm going to say is, if this type of thing is approved, what insurance and safety and other protections do you offer to the public? Because the public is paying for it. So what are you offering us to make us feel more secure and safe in allowing this activity to occur? And that would be the bonds that you've mentioned. It could be special taxes to build up an account in case of a disaster. It could be um, other protections that require disclosure of all of their actions so that we know what's happening when it's happening. But don't just give stuff away, you know, negotiate over this and make sure that we, the taxpayers, the people who are going to stuck, be stuck with the risk, get something back. And yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I think if you were to ask the opinion of the youth, like those in the Sunrise Movement who are fighting for a Green New Deal. This is non-negotiable. Yeah. Science has said we cannot increase our fossil fuel infrastructure and footprint anymore. Mm. We simply can't. We have to go in the exact opposite direction. So the fact that we're scaling up fossil fuel infrastructure in the Port of Tacoma, these are changes, like the investment in infrastructure doesn't pay out for decades, right? So even this liquefied natural gas facility is going to be around for 40 to 50 years. It's locking in that fossil fuel usage for decades, and we do not have the time to allow these projects to happen. Nothing can be built. We need to be building green energy solutions. Youth don't want to hear that, okay, there's a fund to pay in case a disaster happens in Tacoma, because the disaster is already unfolding worldwide. Yes. People are actually dying right now due to climate change. And we're seeing these increased effects of hurricanes. The hurricanes are causing billions of dollars in damage to the U.S. already. I, I don't know the figures. It's probably trillions worldwide that are being affected by climate change. Well, trillions of dollars in damage from climate change already. And that's not going to be addressed by a simple fund that in case the tank ruptures, right? Yeah. We need to reverse course on this disastrous fossil fuel track that we're on or we're all going to be paying in more than just money in the future. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really valid point, uh, Dan, because I, I tend to think of it as a negotiation, but you're right for younger people and for anyone who's, who's really um, at the point where it's like, look, you know, this, it has to stop, right? The most eminent scientists in the world said we had 12 years until we reached the point of, you know, severe impacts and that was more than a year ago. I think that might have been two years ago. So, I mean, we're really in like the 10-year window yeah. of trying to do things that would um, stop and slow and begin to reverse the impacts of our lifestyles. And, yeah, I think that's legitimate, too, to say, no, no more tanks, no more trains, no more anything. You know, we know you have a business that you've been running. Um, we would prefer that to be rolled back too. But in the meantime, no expansion, zero, nothing, nada. I think that's perfectly legitimate. But we have to get yeah, to the decision exactly. makers. Yeah, Tracy, what are your thoughts? I'd like to jump in here on this one because we've been living under the lies 
of uh, the oil, the fossil fuel industries for a very, very long time. And the fossil fuel industry goes hand in hand with war. You know, we, we live in a, in a world that is full of war and destruction and devastation and oil the fossil fuel industry is hand in hand married with that situation. So on that alone, I would say no more expansion. And then like, like Dan brought in the sunrise movement, you know, the, the children of our world are screaming and crying out for us as adults to grow up and stop what we're doing. And so we have to listen, no more infrastructure being built and, Let's get off of it, and not just wean. We gotta like, we gotta like, stop. We gotta pull ourselves off the tit now. So yeah, I just wanted to add a little extra thing in there about that. And and I I, I wanted to bring in um, another effect, you know, that um, of the sea level rise and the the melting of the ice caps. I mean, it's 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 exponential. I mean, it's faster and faster. So when they say, they, they, they keep reducing our time, mm-hmm. right? You know, every few years, it's like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, we, we underestimated that. So do we have 10 years? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't trust those figures anymore. I say, I say, we don't have any more time. We have, we have to, um, we have to like shake ourselves up. You know, I want my daughter not just my daughter's children. I want my daughter to have a world. My daughter is 25 years old and I'm afraid that she doesn't have a world to live in in a few years. That's livable. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I don't want to pussyfoot around with these people anymore. I think that's, I think that's the logical place to be. I think that's a hard place to be because then you're you know, definitely in d- direct opposition between the business community that is saying we need to continue to do this just to sort of exist and the environmental movement that is saying we cannot exist if we continue to do this. So it's hard. One more thing I wanted to add is there was this movie that came out here recently, um, uh, the planet of the humans. Mm -hmm. And um, there's, there's like everything wrong with that movie. I don't know if you know about it. (laughs) But one of the, I'm bringing that up because I listened to a podcast. Um, it's called Best of the Left, which is a, a great podcast. And um, anyways, they picked it apart um, piece by piece. And one of the big things that stood out for me was the, was the misinformation about where we are at with renewables. Mm-hmm. Renewables, you know, all the time are getting better and better and better and better. And um, so we have the tools we have the tools to get off. It's the oil, the, the fossil fuel industry is that is keeping us at where we're at. And so um, we have to stand up at whatever cost because it's not like, well, we have to do this um, for a while still until we you know, figure out. No, we don't. We have the tools. And if we took all that money time and energy that's being put into building new fossil fuel infrastructure and all the time money and energy the people that are trying to stop them we took all of that energy and combine it together and put it into what's already there and keep improving on it 
we can get off of it today, pretty much. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, no, you're right. I mean, one of the things when people talk about the port area and the tide flats, and they say, as, as I said at the beginning, you know, but what else would you use that land for? It can't be used for a lot of things because it's so damaged. You know, there's no reason why you couldn't put a solar farm there. It's a, it's flat. It's not overhung by trees or forest or anything. It's open to the sky. There's no reason you couldn't put uh, prefab buildings out there to hydroponically raise food. You know, there's, I mean, there are a lot of options that are never explored for using that there's, land. There's a re- really great project um, that has been sponsored through 350 Tacoma, and that is Reimagine the Port. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of on a hiatus right now because, you know, everything has been like that lately. Um, but anyways, um, and it's a beautiful, the, the, the imaginations of people are very powerful. And, and those, what, what you just mentioned, and, and there's so many beautiful ideas and things we can do that will help us um, economically and, um, and help our ecosystems and bring community together you know, yeah. All positives. Yeah. What, uh, before we go, do you have anything to share on what is the current status of the LNG facility? And I'll, and for those, those listening who don't know what this is, the liquefied natural gas is a derivative of natural gas. So the gas comes in as a, um, as a, um, how do you call it, uh, a, an, a gas. It's, it's not uh, solid. It's not uh, liquid. It's, uh, it's air. Uh, it comes piped. It gets cuts produced through a, a fracking process, highly, highly environmentally damaging process. Gets piped into Tacoma um, from remote areas. And then um, in Tacoma, there's a large giant tank that's a liquefaction refinery process where the um, gas fills the tank, it fills the tank and then the temperature is lowered uh, down to like below zero. And in that cooling process, it turns the um, air, uh, the gas into a solid liquid. Um, And then that liquid is supposedly used to provide fuel to, to those things that run on LNG. Um, it's supposedly going to be used to um, provide some additional heat uh, heating fuel for um, peak heating needs. Uh, I say supposedly because we haven't ever had a need for peak fuel that wasn't met by the current fuel available. Um, I have always suspected that it would be um, placed into ships and sent overseas rather than being used locally, but the company says that that's not the plan. I just don't believe them. But um, they've built the, the external giant tank has been built for about a year. The pipes are there, but I don't think it's operational yet. You know? Yeah, that's correct. So the facility, they're still building it and putting the final touches on it. Unfortunately, uh, the construction of that facility was deemed uh, necessary, uh, you know, during the COVID crisis, 
Uh, so it continued unabated. Um, and I believe their plans are to have it operating by early 2021, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly. I mean, the time schedule has changed quite a lot. Uh, yeah. And that's a testament to uh, the community of resistance that has come out since day one, since we actually learned the truth about this project uh, to oppose it. And the Puyallup tribe is opposing it. It's being built without their permission on their land. Yeah. And that's been held up in court uh, in a couple of court cases here in Tacoma where uh, activists went onto that land and they couldn't be charged with trespassing because the court couldn't show that that was Puget Sound Energy's land. That was actually Puyallup tribal land. Mm-hmm. My hopes so are, just, yeah. yeah, I think if there's any way to stop it, it'll be through uh, litigation. I don't know that there's anything else that can stop it. And I, I have, I also have hopes that the market may tank on natural gas and um, it won't be profitable for them to continue. But um, so far, neither has happened. So I guess it continues on. And speaking of litigation, there is a pending uh, court case and it's, the whole permitting issue, uh, Puget Sound Energy getting those last permits is supposed to be heard by the Pollutions Control Board oh, here good. in Washington State. Okay. And that, I believe, is supposed to be happening in the early part of uh, 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's about all the information I have on that. And that right now seems to be kind of our last best hope uh, to stop it. Um, but as I think it was the uh, governor's office or the attorney general's office noted uh Puget energy has been snowballing this project from the beginning mm-hmm. right they they start building it and then they say oh we still need these permits and they make it all sound inevitable and then by the time you know that they get to the point of reviewing or possibly denying it like the tank is already built and they're like well how can you stop us now we've already spent a hundred million dollars building mm-hmm. this tank mm-hmm. and yeah another important thing to point out about this project is that again Puget Sound energy ratepayers are paying for a huge percentage of it. I think we're paying for around 40% of it, but if this peak shaving is used, we'll only see about 2% of the use of the facility. So that doesn't seem quite equal. And that's only for the first 10 years of operation. After that, Puget Sound Energy doesn't foresee that facility being used as a peak shaving source for our area. So once again, we're subsidizing the pocketbooks of fossil fuel billionaires. You know, Puget Sound Energy says that they're just an energy company, uh, but Kimberly Harris, their former CEO, was on the American Gas Association board. She was like the president of the American Gas Association, which represents like 96% of, Amer- of, of natural fracked gas uh, produced in the United States. And hopefully your uh, listeners also know that uh, the chief component of natural gas is methane. And methane is 86 times at least more potent, potent a greenhouse gas the carbon dioxide, which is the very thing we're trying to stop in our emissions. And industry always likes to quote uh, the 20-year, uh, or sorry, the 100-year uh, potency of methane because methane degrades in the atmosphere faster. They like to say that methane is only 36 times as bad as carbon dioxide. <laughs> but if, in fact, you look at it over a 20-year period, it's over 86 times worse than carbon dioxide. And the concentration of methane in our atmosphere, uh, if I remember correctly, has nearly doubled mm-hmm. in the, like the last hundred years or since um, industrialization. And because it has a shorter life in the atmosphere, scientists say that one of the best ways for us to combat climate change right now is by cutting methane emissions. And right now, the Trump administration is gutting any legislation that would stop that from happening in fracking fields and other oil, oil drilling operations. Mm-hmm. And we missed a little bit of your, uh, when you started talking about it, it cut out a little bit, but so I think you were talking about that methane is one of the 
um, critical components that is um, sort of a side effect of the natural gas process that it, it, it's a, is it an off gas from natural gas? Is it, because I think it, it's not only when you are um, drilling for the natural gas and, and, you know, gathering it, but also as it's being piped and then refined there, you have methane being produced throughout that process. So yeah, methane is actually the chief component of natural gas. Okay. So as it's being piped through, you know, to here to the liquefied natural gas facility, that's actually a refinery as well. Mm -hmm. So before they liquefy it, they need to remove all the other gases out of it. So uh, there's like benzene. I, I'm not a scientist. I don't know all these names mm -hmm. of these chemicals, but there are all these other uh, natural gas components that form a small part of that natural gas stream. And the liquefied methane is actually the liquefied natural gas. Okay, got it. All right. Well, last thing I wanted to ask before we end, and I'm going to ask you, Tracy, because I think you articulate this so well. Um, this process, I think sometimes being involved in environmental issues in Tacoma can kind of be, um, it can it can become so frustrating that you tune out, you know, that you kind of give up and think, I, I can't pay attention to that anymore. So tell me why you continue to fight on these issues and why you continue to devote your time and energy to them. Well, um, I love my kids. Yeah. <laughs> I love my kids and um, I love clean water and clean earth. I love uh, trees and birds and flowers, <laughs> you know. I love to eat well. I love to be healthy. I love my community and um, I love to breathe, <laughs> you know. Um, and I, I, live on faith and hope and um i know that we can do this i have faith in us i know that we can turn this around um even if we still which i do believe we're still going to be heading into some pretty hard horrendous stuff but um it's still worth it you know we still got to keep um having the faith and the hope and do what's right and um, do it together um, and with love and compassion and community. That's why. Okay, that's good. Any final thoughts, Dan, that you wanted to share? Uh, well, I'd say, yeah, it is often a discouraging fight here in Tacoma, fighting for the future, fighting for a better world for all of us. Uh, but, you know, one of the recent highlights we've had was actually working with the Sunrise Movement and also protectors of the Salish Sea. Uh, in fighting for uh, the city to declare a climate emergency. So uh, almost a year ago now, last September, uh, there's a huge climate uh, climate strike rally that the youth led, and we were very proud to support, and we met in front of the city hall, and the youth read out their demands to uh, some of the city leaders that showed up that day. And by December of that same year, uh, they passed a climate emergency resolution. Uh, and now it's a matter of making sure that they actually follow through with those. And it's not just a symbolic gesture. And the mayor herself said that, you know, we need to hold their feet to the fire and hold them accountable. Uh, but unfortunately, that's uh, very hard to do because our voices are so often discounted in favor of those from the, or the economic development board or, mm -hmm. or big business. Um, but, uh, you know, Victor, these kinds of struggles do take a long time. I would just think of uh, the civil rights movement and all the other struggles that all people around the world have been undergoing. It's, it's often a decades-long process. So 
we often don't see the fruits of our labors immediately, but undoubtedly, like this new generation that's coming up with Sunrise, eventually the, the power is going to be in their hands and they're going to see the world completely differently than the way that people do now. And so this, we just want to play a part in contributing to that shift in how we see the world and our part in it. Very good. So for people listening, I will post the um, information and access to the target proposal on the show notes for this episode. Do take a look at it and do contact our city leaders, contact the um, the development board because this is important. You know, we should decide what our city looks like moving forward and we should make our voices heard because Tacoma depends on us. Okay. All right, guys. That's it for this episode of Crossing Division. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you, Dan. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Evelyn. And thank you, Doug. Yeah, thank you very much for having us on. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. Crossing Division is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Citizen Tacoma, What Say You, and Gimme the Mic. This is Channel 253.